0: Pucks, oh, and it, yes! and it, it is up. going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. he your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice. To the sideline. To the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. To Taysom T. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Welcome Inside Black and Gold. I'm Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak bringing you Week 9 coverage. Getting ready for Saints versus Raiders. Also, Jeff, we've got a busy trade deadline not involving the black and gold, though.
1: Yeah, we're going to get into a lot of that on today's podcast where we react to nothing because the Saints have done nothing. But there were a lot of trades for an NFL trade deadline, which is usually pretty boring, but a lot went down. So we'll go through all that. There was a few trades that, you know, the Saints might have some interest in, you know, at least dealing with. One happened the day before the trade deadline. So we can talk about that one, too. We're going to look at the offensive line, which has been just probably the best unit on this team the last few weeks. And also get an update on Trevor Penning. We talked to Dennis Allen yesterday, so we're going to have some from that along with DeMario Davis. And then finally, we're going to get into some film from week eight as we kind of get ready for the Ravens in week nine. So it's going to be a lot of that. But Steve, what were you thinking? Did you think the Saints were going to trade and make a trade today? I didn't think they would.
0: I thought there was a chance they could make a move for running back just because of the injury with Mark Ingram. I didn't think they'd be giving up very much because they don't have a lot of assets to par ways with as it is, but no, no surprise either way. If they were to make a move or weren't going to make a move. I I was pretty confident. The saints weren't going to do anything period, but then Mark
1: Ingram got hurt. He's going to be out three to four weeks. So I think that kind of opened the door for a trade at running back. But I do think like to an extent, you don't want to send any more assets out. Like I get it. Kareem hunts was available. He didn't get traded. You know, Jeff Wilson was another target, you know. But you're gonna send out a fourth or fifth round pick for a guy who, you know, is he a better option than just bringing Jordan Howard up, up from the practice squad? I don't know. You know, Dwayne Washington is still there. So I like the idea of just kind of keeping the bullets in your gun and, and waiting for the draft season. Wait, well, let's go through some of the trades that did get made. Another running back that could have been on the Saints radar, two of them actually. The Bills traded for Naheem Hines from the Colts, and they also traded Zach Moss to the Colts so like they just kind of swapped back up running backs which is like what at that point why just keep the guy you have but yeah I guess I guess it made sense for the Bills who now have uh Heinz catch up in their roster
0: and I, I think hi um Heinz was somebody that the Colts especially head coach Frank Reich was really high on going into the season telling fans the press and everything he's someone to keep an eye on your for your fantasy football rosters and I don't really think that's translated this season. Well, they also fired their offensive coordinator. So maybe that had something to do with it. I <laughs> mean, yeah, the Colts are in bad shape.
1: All right, keep going down the line. So obviously the Broncos traded for Jacob Martin, just an extra defensive end. And that was after trading Bradley Chubb to the dolphins who made a couple trades today. They also traded for Jeff Wilson to replace chase Edmonds, who they traded to the Broncos in that move. So, the Dolphins are kind of going all in. And if you're a person that thinks, oh, maybe they're going to trade for Sean Payton this offseason because they're not a fan of where things are going, uh, I think these are moves that kind of indicate that that is not, you know, you're going to have to find someone else because I don't think the Dolphins are going to be in that in that game anymore.
0: No, plus look at the success to the I won't say turnaround, but I guess the progression of Tua Tungvaloa this season has been pretty impressive. I know he's got weapons obviously now, but I, I feel like, You know, Tua's really flourished there this year as well. So I don't know why you'd be thinking that Sean Payton would be coming in when their current head coach is doing just fine. Yeah, I mean, Mike McDaniel's been been fine. Like, he would have had to trip over
1: his own feet to lose that job, which, you know, it happens, right? Sure. But he hasn't done that, right? There's no reason to think that they would be, like, disenchanted with what he has done so far, where they feel the need to part with multiple first-round picks, right? Right, he could have
0: been like Nathaniel Hackett. Who knows?
1: Exactly. Uh, you don't know how it's going to work with a first-time head coach, but I think all indications are that that team is very happy. So if you're if you're the Saints and you're trying to trade Sean, you're going to look somewhere else. A couple more interesting trades. The Bears traded for Chase Claypool, which you know gives Justin Fields a receiver. And they sent out a second-round pick, which was one of the picks that they got for drumroll Roquan Smith, who is now on the Ravens, just in time to show up and, uh, and play the Saints. So that's going to be one, one of the trades this week, you know, it wasn't technically a deadline trade, but one of the trades that the saints are going to be interested in Dennis Allen said he expects to see him on Monday. Right. I do think to an extent the saints got a break though, because if you, I mean, just think of it this way, if you got a new job and had to move to a different city, would you be ready to like work, you know, five days later, you know, obviously NFL players are a little different than the average person, but there's no way that he's going to be at full speed in five days uh, after getting traded. There's just, there's just no way it's impossible.
0: I just think, you know, the worst case scenario, I guess you would say he might not be, you know, ready schematically, but I would imagine going to Baltimore, he's going to be pretty amped up and happy about his new surroundings. Yeah. And he's going to, he's still, he's still an incredible football player and he's got to make plays, right. but I think it's
1: going to be a situation where a, his role is limited because he doesn't know all the schemes yet. So he b- probably will be a rundowns type linebacker, at least, to start. And if he is in there on passing downs, it'll be a situation where maybe you go at him in coverage. Like you've, he might not understand all the concepts that the Ravens run yet. And so you're going to, you're going to force him. If they're putting him out there, you're going to force him to, to react. Right. And to see how he passes off some of these zone coverages. And so, you know, it it might work out in the saints favor if he's not ready and you can actually take advantage of it,
0: but one way or another, you're going to see him out there and the Ravens got a lot better with that trade. And what's kind of amusing though, is like an as an area that they, are still in need of addressing. They haven't touched at all in getting Lamar Jackson any more targets out there. They did not make a move for wide receiver. No, and they they're dealing with injuries, right? Gus Edwards has an injury. Mark
1: Andrews has an injury. Rashad Bateman has an injury. I don't know if any of those guys will be out there this week. So, you know, there are times throughout the season where you just get lucky and you catch a team at the right time. And it felt like through the first seven weeks, everyone was catching the Saints at the right time. <laughs> you know, so maybe this is a point where you kind of get some of that luck back and, and the Saints are the ones that benefit from, you know, some some rough injury luck while they're getting healthy. You know, it goes in waves. So that's something to keep an eye on. The other funny part about that trade is, you know, friend of the program, AJ Klein, got is the one who got sent from the Ravens. To the Broncos.
0: And he's like not even mentioned when people are talking about this trade. It's all about Roquan and the pigs. I mean, sorry, I said the Broncos,
1: the Bears. Well, yeah, because I'm, you know, AJ Klein's probably going to get cut. He might end up on waivers. Maybe the Saints bring him back. I don't know. But uh, (laughs) yeah, he was was in that deal. And then you have a few other deals. Obviously, the Eagles traded for Robert Quinn. That was the other big Bears trade. The Chiefs got Kadarius Toney. The Jets traded for James Robinson, former Jaguars running back who... You know, he'll have a big role there because Brees Hall, the talented rookie, got hurt. He's done for the season. 49ers traded for Christian McCaffrey, who looked very good this week. He's um, even
0: throwing for touchdowns. Come on.
1: I mean, that's that's why Jeff Wilson got traded, because you have Christian McCaffrey. And Eli Mitchell was a name I thought might move. But, you know, my fantasy team is just going to have to deal with it because he's even when he comes back, he's not going to be very impactful. And then the Falcons made a couple of interesting trades. They traded, you know, right out of the buzzer they must've filed that paperwork at like 2.59 PM Right or 3.59 PM for them in the East coast. Cause that, the news of that came out at like three twenty four our time, the trade deadline was 3.00 PM. So they must've been like right, uh, right under the wire, but they traded for Rashad Fenton cornerback from Kansas city. You know, I think he'll probably have a role with AJ Terrell down who knows how long it'll take him to come back. And then they made another funny trade, which was they traded Calvin Ridley who was suspended for the entire season to the Jaguars, and the funny part is the reason
0: he's suspended for the entire season is <laughs> one of the teams he bet on was the Falcons beating the Jaguars. Right. <laughs> it's so he was stupid so confident
1: anyway. that it's his so team stupid. was gonna gonna beat the team that he's now on. <laughs> right. It's so <laughs> dumb that he is suspended for the year. Honestly, I feel. Yeah, I mean, it's the rules. Like, I think it's stupid, but like, it is the rules.
0: Right, it right, goes like along you, with the, the taking the helmet off, you know, you get a flag. for Right, so it goes along in that area where it doesn't make – it's not a, a great rule that, that that's in the NFL that, that they have.
1: Well, I mean, I understand why you wouldn't want players betting on their own league, right? Like, I get it. It's not like he made that bet and shouldn't have been expected to know. You know what I mean? Like, if you're gambling on the sport you're in, it's going to be a problem.
0: I guess, and, and you, you could be doing it such a smarter way, I guess you could, for him as well, with especially with the ease of access for betting now. Honestly, if he tried to do it in a more
1: surreptitious way, he might've gotten in more trouble. <laughs> no, seriously. What if his wife is
0: placing bets?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any rules against that, but like, yeah, if if he was trying to hide it and then got caught, he would probably be suspended for more than a season. The fact that he was so obvious about it, honestly probably helped him. Because like you weren't trying to like if you were actually because it, it's obviously they're trying to make sure you're not doing anything nefarious and throwing sure. games and stuff like that right. It helped that he bet on his own team to win, but that was the Pete Rose defense, right? <laughs> like, but yeah, he's he's suspended for the season. And he is now on the team that he bet his team would beat, that has kept him out for the entire season. So good, good for you, Calvin. You're out there, and the and the Falcons got a couple picks back, but you know, no one in the NFC South made deals that I would say
0: they are indicating that they are all in this this season, right? Yeah, there was nothing really, I guess, to go all in on. Like I was saying, from the Saints standpoint, running back seemed like a need. Also, I could have argued, you know, interior on the defensive line, getting another de- defensive tackle. But those, are, I know, are very hard to come by and not really readily available on the market. And if they are, they're pretty pricey.
1: Yeah, like the Cowboys traded for Jonathan Hankins. That would have been an option. Yeah, Steelers traded for William Jackson, cornerback. Let's see if there's any more. I think that's. I think I got pretty much all of them. Oh, oh, the one we didn't mention. The Vikings traded for T.J. Hawkinson, a tight end from a team within their own division. Which
0: <laughs> good for you. I, I thought Detroit. it was like fake Adam Schefter account at first when I read it.
1: Can you imagine if the Saints like traded one of their stars to the, the Falcons? Like, it just wouldn't happen. It's bizarre. It, it like it's just right. not a Taysom thing. Taysom Hill do.
0: to the Falcons. For draft picks. Now, that would be fun. But,
1: yeah, I mean, so it, it's the NFL trade deadline. It's never as exciting as, like, basketball or baseball because it's it's much more difficult to – like, you're not going to trade a quarterback at the deadline. You're just not going to do it because the team that's trading for him would have to be trying to win now. And if you don't have the quarterback already, the odds that you're in a scenario where you're like, oh, we're we're going for it are very slim, right? So it's it doesn't really work. You know, in baseball, it's like you might have two good starters and you need a third – and so you're going all in and trading for that pitcher who's going to put you over the top. Football is just way more, you know, tiered in terms of importance that it's a lot harder to do that. And so that's why you don't see trades. And, you know, the, traditionally the Saints have not been very active at the trade deadline. You don't see them making trades every year. You see them making trades in the offseason. And I could see, you know, players, if they get waived, you know, if Brandon Cooks becomes such a malcontent, he's he's firing off on Twitter right now that they, have, they end up cutting him. You know, I could see the Saints going in on waivers. And they have done that in the past. That's what they did with Janoris Jenkins, right? Like, he got cut by the Giants for tweeting bad things. And they were like, yeah, you know what? We'll, we'll pay him. Like We just don't want to trade for him. And so they, that's what you have. So I would, I think that's something to watch in the next few days. If, if players get cut or if players continue to get cut throughout the season, then you still might see them say be active on waivers to add some people.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Cooks, and he was one for sure I thought would be on the move, especially – Man, the Green Bay Packers. Poor Aaron Rodgers. Wah wah. He gets no. Oh, I feel
1: so bad for Aaron. Me too. Rodgers. I
0: know he seems like such a great stand-up guy, but yeah, no, no offensive help for him.
1: Now keep throwing a Romeo Dobbs. That is your that that is your uh, purgatory. That's it. That's the trade deadline in a nutshell. Every year, people get excited about it. They want trades to happen. I think that going too aggressively at the trade deadline is a mistake. the The team that I thought might make some moves was the Bucks, Yeah. <laughs> Just a team that looks dead in the water right now. Uh, and I, I mean, I don't know what you do to, to get out of that scenario, but they don't, I mean, if I'm a bucks fan, I'm like, I'm worried that this thing is going to go completely in the tank. And, and not only this year, but like you have, you are set up to be bad for a long time, right? You don't have a quarterback once Tom Brady finally does retire, which, you know, maybe he does play forever now, but I doubt he will do that with the Bucks If they are not set up to win. You know, you, you have receivers that are getting older, right. They're still in their prime, but they're not young bucks anymore. You know, you have Leonard Fournette who it's pretty clear that when things aren't going well, he, he puts on some weight, (laughs) he stress eats. I don't know. Um, But you know, it's things, you know, Devin white even looks bad these days. Like Devin white's getting blocked into another hemisphere by the center for the Ravens last week. So like things aren't going well in Tampa Bay these days.
0: Yeah, and for all the injuries they had along the offensive line, I thought maybe they might be active in that even front. Right. And Yeah, not at all. No, they're, they're, they made their bed. Everyone in the NFC South seems to
1: be like, well, let's see what happens, except for the Panthers who are actively <laughs> trying to lose and still
0: finding ways to win. And the Saints managed to lose to them in Carolina. Yay.
1: Well, I mean, I, they were one extra point made from being 3-0 and against the division and being 3-5 overall.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's wild right
1: <laughs> like that's how bad the NFC South is a team that literally can't beat anybody else is like dominating the division because they didn't like they beat the Bucks easily they beat the Saints easily you know they said that they had to work for it against the Falcons but they you know they had that game in hand
0: right they just managed to find ways to lose like the Saints yeah, have done right. in the past right they did
1: what they probably wish they had done against the Bucs and the Saints <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like they don't even have a head coach right now. Like they're not going to, they're not trying to make the playoffs. They're trying to, they're trying to get as good of a draft pick as they can so that they can entice a head coach to show up. Like, I don't, I'm not worried about the Panthers. The only team that really worries you in the NFC South is the Falcons. And even they're like, not, they're not making trades. Like they're going in, you know, they they traded for a cornerback because they needed a cornerback. But like, this is a team that almost just lost to the tanking Panthers. So I don't know. Like I, I saw odds today. I, I looked this up because I was interested. The saints are going off at plus five fifty to win the NFC South right now. And like, that feels like good money to me. Obviously they have some questions to answer, but they're a half game out uh, behind the Falcons who they have at the t- the first half of the tiebreaker on, and they're playing better football. The last few weeks, the offense is clicking and the defense is showing signs. You're going to get guys healthy and back. It's like, all they have to do is get to eight wins and you think you win the division. Plus, you know, like that's good odds. You know, it's bet $100 to win
0: $550. If, if we can get the defense we saw last week against the Raiders, hell yeah, I'm all in on that.
1: Well, yeah, we're going to go into some film, and I'm, it's like the Raiders were very, very bad. <laughs> I think I think that is something that we should all keep in mind. Like the Saints played well. This Raiders team might not win another game. Like they're playing that badly. Or they did in that game, and it's like I could see Josh McDaniel getting fired. Like that's how bad they they played, and like the lack of energy they played with. It's 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 always it's always interesting how the I could the see NFL Sean Payton goes. in
0: Las Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. That could work. It could work. It could work. But all right,
1: that's gonna wrap up that segment here on Inside Black and Goal. We're gonna come back with some notes on the offensive line. Trevor Penning, his latest. We heard from Dennis Allen. We're gonna get into more about Caesar Ruiz, who has been a star this season. Imagine that. Stick around.
0: You know, it's hard to run the ball the way we've been able to run the ball unless your offensive line is playing effectively. There's a lot of elements that go into it, you know, but um, but I do think that our offensive line has has been playing
1: playing pretty well done a pretty good job of a run block and we've done a pretty good job of uh, protecting for the quarterback, you know, and, and I I just feel like, you know, generally when you're in a little bit of a groove offensively, um, you
0: know, all those things kind of start up front.
1: We're back here on inside black and gold. And that was Dennis Allen talking about what has to be the most improved unit after week eight from where it was in week one. And that is the offensive line. Andy Dalton has not been sacked in two weeks and for a group that you know everyone wanted to heap dirt on Caesar Ruiz and no one had any faith in James Hurst and all this and Andrew Pete is Andrew Pete he's always hurt while well, he came back and he looked good you know that has to be you know when you look at a team that' struggled and is still three and five and has to find a way to get back to 500 and get on top of the division you know it's a lot easier to do that when your offensive line is doing the job. And that's what's happened so far, or at least, and that's what's happened the last few weeks for the saints.
0: Yeah. And I guess because of the position group, it doesn't get a lot of love. I think a lot of people have kind of overlooked their contributions, even though how important, obviously the guys up front, the big, the big uglies are up front. But um, yeah, that's impressive when you just said that with Andy Dalton, not being sacked the last two weeks, obviously not a guy that is, known for mobility. He can definitely have some, I guess you could say smoothness about him where he's able to have a little bit of escapability, but he's not someone that's going to be running around back there. Uh, And in just general, the the run blocking is obviously uh, key for springing guys like Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram, etc. And I think, I don't know if it was this week or last, I think it was this week on one of the touchdown runs. Got to give credit even to a guy like Traquan Smith, who I think helped uh spring a a huge gain for the for Alvin Kamara. Yeah, no, I
1: mean it, it, the run blocking it, it, you know it works together, right? And I think that's what Dennis Allen was pointing to, which is like the run blocking and the pass blocking are not independent from each other, right? When you are run blocking well, it makes it easier to pass protect because you don't have, you know, guys coming at you, right? They don't know whether you're going to pass or run because you are so effective at doing both, right? And it goes the other way as well, and you know, one guy who <laughs> I, I've been trying to, to to pump the brakes on for two years now. But every time I, I, like I've tweeted so many reports from his teammates, from his coaches, saying, you know, he's one of the hardest workers on the team. He's going to get there it's just a matter of time. It's a guy who everyone, want, everyone wants to complain about how he played last year. Well, the first five games of the season last year, he was playing at center. And that's Cesar Ruiz, who I, I think has been a star. He's been a Pro Bowl caliber guard through week eight of the season and it, you know, the last few weeks people have started to really notice that, you know, the first five weeks of the season, I think the team was struggling. And so it's hard to point out anyone who's doing well on, when a team is playing as badly as they were, but you know, he's been coming along all season, you know, that, that week one, everyone struggled. He got blown off the ball by Grady Jarrett. We all remember that, but you know, whether it's run blocking, whether it's pass blocking, he's been a stud. And that's just, that's the, that is the name of the game in the NFL, right? you you have to get better you have to identify what you don't do well and improve on it and that's what he's been able to do and it's like so maybe next time you have a first round pick who isn't you know blowing the doors off of people in year 1 or year 2 we can all say oh wait you know there's a reason that <laughs> you have coaches and there's a reason that they thought he was going to be good and he's now he's now reaching the potential that they saw for him back in 2020 and that's only going to mean good things for the saints
0: yeah, and unfortunately for Ruiz, and people want to say this is an excuse sometimes, but the guy came into the league during a really awkward time yeah. in the NFL, in America, with the, the pandemic going on. There was just limited amount of reps, limited snaps to develop in practice, and what they were doing was more, you would hear from Sean Payton classroom study and you know certain things just working with your position groups, but it wasn't a really full kind of training camp and, and and really didn't get to I guess flourish in his progression the first two years in the NFL it was just difficult this was really his first full year of going through you know an, an NFL preseason with the team you got even think about you know the Saints not having preseason games during the pandemic things that would just you know ha- just things that hampered his development and it's good to see that He's starting to flourish, come along, and just it's a process, too, on the offensive line. You talk to the guys and their communication, them being able to work together. It's its not just an individual. really is one unit. They're working together as one.
1: Yeah. Cesar Ruiz did not have a single OTA practice until this year, until year three. That's right? crazy, right? One, you didn't have basically any offseason programs you didn't have any preseason games and he was changing positions and he got hurt in the preseason. So I think he did, wasn't even active for week one because he was still dealing with an injury. So you lost all of that prep time. You lost all of that ability to kind of figure out where you were. And I think, you know, he was behind the eight ball of not being as good at at the guard position as he probably would want to have been before getting thrown into the fire. So that's a recipe for struggling right? You've changed offensive line coaches since that time. So clearly you felt like the offensive line coaching was not up to snuff either. You know, in year two, you spend all off season being like, man, okay, I'm going to get it at guard. I'm going to get it at guard. I'm going to get it at guard. Five snaps into the game. You're playing center and you're playing center for the first five games, right? You have a guy who's trying to find his way at guard and suddenly he's not playing that position. And then you shift him back to guard and he's now, you know, back to square one and trying to remember how to do this again. Well, three games after that, Ryan Ramchek goes out for the next eight games, right? So the guy who you're trusting right next to you, who I think is a very helpful guy to have next to you is suddenly Landon Young, a rookie, right? So the veteran on that offensive line group on the right side of the offensive line is Cesar Ruiz. So that's just a recipe for struggling. And I think we talked to Zach Streif on Sports Talk during the offseason. And he, t- he talks about how, okay, yeah, he has taken a step forward in year two. Whether you want to believe it or not, he has taken a step forward in year two. And he needs to continue that. He needs to take a bigger step forward in year three. And that's, that's what he's done. If you look at the pressure numbers, the pressures allowed, they're remarkable. He's allowed five pressures this season in pass protection. Five. Calvin Throckmorton, who has played a grand total of 60 pass protection snaps, <laughs> has allowed six. Caesar has played 166 compared to Calvin six, I'm sorry, compared to Calvin 60 and he has fewer pressures allowed. That's how good he has been. Ryan Ramchick, 15 pressures allowed. Now that might sound more alarming than it is. Keep in mind you have James Hurst at left tackle and you are sending help to his side frequently. So, like that's a you're you're keeping Ryan Ramchak on an island, but those numbers aren't a mirage. That's how good he has been. And I I got into it with a couple people on Twitter yesterday. And it's it's more about like I've said before on this podcast, I I have one of my big pet peeves is, you know, just calling young players busts because they're not stars in year one and two. And that's what had been happening to Caesar Ruiz, and especially at offensive line where you don't really see the development because you're watching it on TV unless you're studying film. You really don't know how offensive lineman A or offensive lineman B is doing because they're only showing you a good look at their set if they make a mistake. It's not exactly dramatic television to show a perfectly set block where nothing happens, right? Like, but that's a that's a successful play. And it's like, so if you're not watching the film, like to to pretend you have an idea whether this guy is like actually improving or not, you're just, you know, you're just repeating what you're hearing. And so it gets into this echo chamber of like, oh, this guy sucks. This guy sucks. This guy sucks. Yeah, he sucks. Get him out of there. It's like, well, wh- why? It, the coaches are, are the ones who are telling you like, yeah, he's improving. He's struggling, but he's improving and we're getting there. And so what bugged me on Twitter is like, all of a sudden, it's like, wow, it's remarkable. I can't believe he made this crazy turnaround. It's like, No. <laughs> You think that because you've spent the last two years posting a guy. And now instead of just saying, oh, I guess I was wrong. You're like, wow, it's remarkable. I can't believe this thing happened that I could, that no one saw coming. It's like, well, you know, if you were more reasonable about this, <laughs> you would have seen it coming and you would have seen it building. But instead you've just been talking shit <laughs> to a guy who, if you saw him in person, you would ask for a selfie with. Right. Anyway, that's what bugs me. That's what bugs me more than anything else.
0: Well, the thing is, I mean, one, it goes along with the territory of being drafted in the first round. People expect, you know, so much out of that. He's just going to be a stonewall right away. And we saw that this year, even with Trevor Penning in the preseason, everyone, everyone started getting on him for some early struggles. And it's like, just like you said, right to start this pump, the brakes, hold on.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, like the guys are going to make mistakes. They're young players. They're inconsistent. And on the offensive line, when you're inconsistent, your quarterback gets killed. So I get it. Like if you're a wide receiver who's struggling and you don't get separation and you just don't get the ball thrown to you and you no one ever finds out about it, right? You would have to be watching the film to see a wide receiver really mess up on a route. So it's the it's the inverse, right? And in so a quarterback is in the same position as a offensive lineman, but you get a better look at what the quarterback is doing every play, right? You have analysts who are breaking down what the quarterback is doing every play exhaustively. Offensive line is really difficult. It's really difficult to na- analyze. And I'm not that good at it. I'm just asking the players. I'm asking the coaches. And they're telling me these things. And I'm mm-hmm. reporting them back. And then it's like, wow, I can't believe. I can't believe no one has been telling us about this. We're like, that's what I've been doing for two years. Anyway. Oh, so, you're such a homer, Jeff. I, I Right, right. So earlier this offseason, right, one of the things I tweeted was, you know, Contavious Street went up to the podium. We only talked to him like once. And he was asked, you know, who has stood out yeah. on the offensive line? And his answer, you know, he hasn't been around for the two years of where everyone was saying, Bench Caesar, Bench Caesar. Like people were saying that they should move James Hurst inside, start the rookie left tackle just to get Caesar off the field. That's how right. ridiculous people were being. And Cantavius goes up there and he's like, Oh, yeah, Caesar Ruiz, 100%. He has been a star. Like he's very difficult to get past in pass sets and run sets. He's got quick feet. He's strong. He's agile. <laughs> and I tweeted that, and they were like, Well, I guess now I don't trust Contavia Street. <laughs> 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 and it's like, Or maybe this impartial observer is telling you something that's going to pan out. And it did. And so that's my thing. And I'm getting worked up again, but it just annoys me. Cause it's like people, Andrew from the saints happy hour podcast says I'm grandstanding. I was like, no, I just want you to admit that you were shitposting a guy for no reason, you know,
0: and, or at, and least, at least acknowledge, yeah, the development of a player who might've been struggling early on in this career, but has taken these steps now that like we've mentioned, you know, has gone through OTAs has had a, a real training camp.
1: Right. And it's like, but in, in the, in the, the term turnaround, turn the corner, <laughs> is what bugs me. Cause it's, that's not really what it is. It's not like he was, he was this player and suddenly he's a different player. It's like, no, he's been developing and developing and developing. And then it clicked and it, and it went and the the, the curve went up as yeah. opposed to just slowly curving it, it ticked up, you know, <laughs> you know, we've all, we all went through a pandemic where we watched all these lines and <laughs> you've seen it, the parabolic increase. And so like, like that's what happened. And the reason you're stunned by it is that you, had already decided that this guy was a bust. And so now you like you're trying to justify that bad take by
0: pretending that you, this couldn't have been seen coming. It was impossible. Oh just wait till he has one bad game though. people will be jumping all over him again.
1: Well, that was the thing. like he had been playing really well, and like people had gotten so just reflexive about blaming Caesar for bad offensive line play, and it was like I think it was like week five, and I was like, you know, I don't think Caesar Ruiz is the reason that they're struggling. And they are like, well, we must have been watching different games. I was like, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was the rant that I I didn't need to go on that full rant, but it's just been hell, Caesar. Me. I just don't like. I hate. I hate this idea that a young player is not a star, so he's a bust. Right. And it's like, what are we doing here? Like. <sighs> That's it. That's all. That's like, that's what I got.
0: I'm just saying gear up for it again, because Penning's going to be back soon. I know we're going to be talking about that, but that that's going to be another guy that people are going to be, they have high, high expectations for right away. So, yeah. So we, I did want to get into penning a little bit, but I did also want to
1: share a clip of, you know, probably the, my favorite Cesar Ruiz rep from this last game before we do the film session. It goes kind of quick there. But what you can see is, so Caesar. one of the things where he's really improved this season, and it's something that the Saints do a lot of, so you have to be good at it, is being a pulling guard, right? So you got to come across, not only get there, but you have to find your block, you have to land it, and then you have to kind of get upfield and and see if you can keep going. And so what he does here is he not only gets there, blows up the rusher, he finds the the secondary rusher and blocks him with his back turned. Hmm. and that's what keys this run like you can see he just kind of like flips him off his back and all of a sudden Taysom Hill is upfield and it's like that's the type of confident thing that you would have never seen from him in years one and two and I, I asked Ryan about this Ryan Ramchick about this uh, on Monday when we talked to him and it's you know the biggest difference is not you know his ability his talent level it's his confidence it's the fact that he's going out there and he, he knows that he's going to be the player that, you know, he knows he can be. And that's, that's a, a lot bigger of a deal than, than most people probably realize.
0: I wonder sometimes, like, does Cesar Ruiz hear all the outside noise really from the fans, all that bitching that was happening in the early goings, and, and how does that make him feel?
1: Yeah, I I don't know. It's it's really tough to know. I mean, I think some players do some players are better at blocking it out. If he has been hearing it, then that makes it even more impressive that he has been able to not let it get to him because that would annoy me. It does annoy me. And I'm not even him. Right. Because like, and and I don't know, maybe I'm more sensitive to it because I see the players working like, you know, like, I, I get to watch the practices every day where he's out there. And it's like, it's like, he's not like he's just wandering around. Like you can see guys when they're not trying hard. Like it's It's not that hard to spot when guys are phoning it in. And that's never been the case with him. And so I'm just glad that he's finally getting the shine. He's been working really hard to get. And I'd like to see some people on Twitter be like, you know what? I'm an idiot. Not, wow, what an amazing turnaround. Like, no, own your take. If you're literally on Twitter to have takes, own your take. I make bad takes all the time, but I'm not going to pretend I didn't have them just because the guy proved me wrong. Like, I I spent all offseason saying Andy Dolan didn't have what it takes to win games. And look what he's doing now. Like, I'm an idiot. (laughs) It's not like he, he's he's amazingly a different quarterback. I misread the situation. That's
0: No, I think, I, I think we were all laughing too just because, you know, hanging out with Bobby Hebert during training camp and Bobby was all over Dalton from day one. And it was just, it got to the point where it was like, Bobby, I don't want to hear it anymore.
1: Now he looks like a genius. Because <laughs> that's another guy who I thought played really well yesterday or on Sunday. Okay, before we go, so one update that Dennis Allen gave us was on Trevor Penning. Here's what he had to say on that. You know, he's out of the boot now. Um, he's, he's started, you know, with some, with some, some, some cardio stuff and on the treadmill and, and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's progressing. Yeah, that's good. You know, and I think that's what we knew, uh, in the sense that he had started on the scooter on that little knee scooter. We've seen him around the facility. He was walking in the boot, kind of going through meetings. He told us he was a few weeks out and now he's uh, on the
0: treadmill doing weight bearing exercises. And that's, you know, that's good. Yeah, obviously, out the boot on the treadmill, able to put pressure on that foot, and there'll be you know more baby steps taking forward, coming back from the injury, and who knows, we we might see him back. I don't know in a week or two, starting with some team stuff.
1: Yeah, so the thing to keep in mind, he's on injured reserve. They can bring him back any t- at any point. Like he's past that four week window, obviously, where they can bring him back. He went on injured reserve prior to week one, so. He's well beyond that. And so it's like you can bring him back to practice. And then past that point, you have 21 days to put him on the active roster or he's done for the year. So it's really just a question of, okay, at one point do you think he's 21 days away? Because I do think they want to get him back in practice as early as possible prior to coming back. So even even if he is a couple weeks out, I think you do want to get him on that because it's going to be a conditioning thing. I think that's right. for offensive linemen, you know, getting out of the boot and doing treadmill work. That is a significant step for, for an offensive lineman. These are big dudes. So I'm sure, you know, he's put on, actually, I don't even know if you put on weight when you're not playing football as an offensive lineman, because it's probably hard to maintain 300 pounds, but that's a lot of weight on your foot. That's, that surgically repaired foot. So, you know, that's a good sign for him, I think.
0: Yeah, I don't know how much he was just chilling on the couch, playing COD, eating chips. What else are you going <laughs> to do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I
1: hope what? he was. I hope he had some, I hope he enjoyed himself while he wasn't uh, having to having to murder
0: his body every day for a month. Hopefully multiple. watching plenty of uh, Saints film. I'm sure he was doing that as well.
1: Yeah, and so that's, that's something that, you know, I kept mentioning how we've been seeing him around the facility, and while it's not like you'd hope you would see him, you'd hope he'd be involved, I don't think that's a given either. Right. Like guys can get in their own heads. They can get depressed. You know, it's, it's a bummer, right? You get hurt right before your rookie debut. It was the final game of the preseason where he got hurt. Like that would, that would kind of send me teetering a bit if I had put so much energy and so much emotional investment into it. Um, And when I talked to Landon Young about this, because he had the same injury uh, during the Eagles game last year. So the exact same type of injury, turf toe, ligament damage, had to have surgery. And his main piece of advice was like, stay in the building, keep working so that when you come back, it's not like you're starting from square one. It's like, you know, yeah, you hit the, you hit a pause button and now you're back. And so hopefully that's what Trevor has been able to do because I, I still don't think he's going to walk into a starting job, right? Like James Hurst has been solid. So you're going to, you're essentially going to be quality depth for however long it takes. And that's a good thing for the saints because as we've seen guys get hurt and you want to be able to to, you know, not miss a beat when those guys go out. And you don't really have a backup left tackle that you feel good about right now. So like that, you just, that alone will be good. And he'll be a mauler in the run game from day one.
0: It's really going to be a pass protection question. And uh, yeah. And, you know, you, you know, with Alvin Kamara just talking about that swagger this past uh, couple weeks ago, you know, Trevor Penning has that attitude. Uh, when he walks in to that practice field, he just, uh, he he likes to stir shit up, and then that's that's going to be great for overall the offensive lines mentality and just uh, challenging this defense even more.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know I've been critical of this team and saying they don't seem to have an identity on offense. You know your identity can be you just mean and <laughs> you're bullying people in the run game, and that's what they've been doing. They've been mauling people, and we're going to see a little bit of that on film. Going from a not having an identity to being the team that bullies people up front like that team wins, like you want to be the bully, you know, it's like being a finesse team has been kind of the fun thing in, in modern NFL, but like, I would much rather be the team that other teams hate to play because they're battered and bruised at the end of it. And that's what this saints team, I think if they kind of reach the point that they want to on offense, by the end of the year, that's going to be their identity. And, you know, getting Trevor, you know, he's, he's a guy who fits right in, So hopefully he can be that again.
0: We've seen obviously the first round pick in Chris Olave having a big year, and then along with the fact of Elante Taylor, their second-round pick, you know, showing signs of why he was a, a studly second-round pick. You just want to see the the other uh, top selection in action just to see how great this team has actually been in the draft of recent years, especially this season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at this draft, this last draft, you didn't have a lot of picks. But, it, you know,
1: <laughs> I mean, it looks like you have a stud, in Chris Olave and Alante Taylor, if Trevor Penning comes back and is like a startable player, I mean that's a that's a huge draft. That's like 2017 caliber, and we've seen what what a draft like that can do for a team. You right. know, it, it can it can buoy you for years uh, if you do it right. And you know, like they had they didn't draft that well 2018, 2019, 2020, but the last t- couple years, you know, Paulson Adebo, Pete Warner. Um, you know, Alave, obviously, Alante Taylor. We haven't seen, you know, DeMarco Jackson, those guys. But, uh, you know, and, and if Cesar Ruiz is, is going to continue to be that guy, you know, the last couple years of drafting, they haven't had a ton of picks. You know, these are going to be the guys who kind of lift you through this kind of reclamation period where you're not sure who the quarterback is and all that. Um, so that's, that's good to see because if they weren't, that's the thing, when you trade all your picks away, you better hit the picks you make. And that's, yeah. it seems that seems like they have done that.
0: on Inside Black and Gold. Steve Yellow, along with Jeff Nowak, gearing you up now for some film study. One of Jeff, I, I think his best portraits. I'm, I'm always impressed with some of the stuff you present here so I'm interested to see what you're bringing to the table today.
1: You know I, I've, I've phoned it in a little bit this week. I didn't have time to like put these in any specific order but you know as I went through the film I kind of pulled out a bunch of plays that stood out to me and so They're just going to run and I'm just going to stop them as they happen and kind of go through why I pulled them out. And this game was a lot of fun to watch when the offensive line is playing well, when the defensive line is playing well, you know, when the other team really isn't doing much, those are the games that are fun to go through the film on. And that was very much the case. This game, the saints only had eight drives in this game. They put up 24 points and they should have been 30 at minimum. Right. There was only one real mistake by Andy Dalton. And when you kind of look back at the tape, It was really just a missed penalty. Those that that play that Trayvon Merrig kind of intercepted the ball, but he was out of bounds. Well, you know, Traquan Smith would have been there to make a play on the ball, but he got held in that you know in in the Tommy Lee Lewis dead zone of calls that don't get made. So we're going to get into a lot of that, but yeah, I mean this this is the film that I was expecting to see when when the season started, and so that's that's nice. But again, this is in no particular order. Like this is the Alvin Kamara touchdown, and I pulled it because it's like an example of the Raiders just having no idea what they were doing. And so what you'll see here is, (laughs) what is this guy doing? I initially looked at it like, oh, wow, what a great gigantic hole the Saints created on this second and short for a touchdown. But it's like, no, the best block was thrown by the Raiders defensive tackle, Andrew Billings. Like, what is he doing?
0: He's auditioning for the Saints O-line here.
1: (laughs) Right. Did he forget what team he was on? You know, and you could say, well, maybe maybe Andres Peet has a has a handful of jersey, but like he doesn't have leverage from the position he's in. This guy, I think he just got excited because he finally moved somebody, and he was just trying to like pancake him. I don't know, but like that's the reason that this run was so easy. Like if he disengages from Andres Pete, who is not in good, he's that's not a good block by him. This guy is right in the hole to stop Alvin Kamara, but instead. He's way out of position. And, you know, Jawan Johnson didn't block this well. It actually wasn't that well-blocked of a play. You know, like Nick Vanette missed his block here. Jawan Johnson misses block here. And this, this this guy. But because Andrew Billings got so excited about pushing Andrews Pete out of the way, this is like the an easy, the easy touchdown. And uh, it's just like, that's an example of like, this Raiders team is is bad. And it's not about the talent level they had on it. It's about the fact that they can't do simple things at a, at a level that you should be able to do. And that's on coaching, you know, that's on Josh McDaniels. Like if I'm Josh McDaniels and I've already flamed, like, like Josh McDaniels and Dennis Allen are in very similar situations with their teams They're in their, their second head coaching stint where they failed in their first one. You know, there's a lot of questions about why these guys keep getting chances as head coaches. And like they Dennis Allen won that battle in this game. Like if I'm, if I'm Josh McDaniels, you know, I'm not feeling good about about the fact that I've now I've now kind of run another team into the ground.
0: I just think this is pretty amusing with the Camaro run like I uh, just said it looks like he's auditioning for Saints O-line work there on the Raiders. So yeah, a guy we talked about a lot after the
1: game was Alante Taylor, you know, and he's a guy who has had a rough rookie season, right? He was dealing with an injury in training camp. He had an injury after week two is kind of his kind of coming out party against the Bucs. He missed four weeks. He came back, was immediately thrown into the fire against DeAndre Hopkins, then had to show up and, and play De- Devontae Adams the next week, right? And anytime you're a rookie getting a starting in a starting role, you're going to get targeted. And that's what happened in this game. He was targeted 10 times by Derek Carr in this game. He allowed four catches. You know, that, that does, that's not an accident. Like they were going after him and he held up. And I think that's that's pretty impressive for a rookie. And you, you know, too, of with talking with Taylor, that his personality is bring it on. Yeah, he's as confident as it comes. And here's a good example. Like, this is a play where you're very much, your, your goal here is to go after the rookie in coverage. So he's on the outside. You have the tight end coming off the line, and he's going to just take this, like, little in, in route. And so he's getting picked up by Alante Taylor. And you can tell that, that Derek Carr is looking for that matchup because if you watch what happens you know, you have Devontae Adams coming in this, the, the, uh, the post or the deep over and he ends up being wide open, but, but Derek Carr is locked in on the tight end over the middle. And I mean, he's not wide open. You do have a safety here, but this is where I would have gone with the ball. <laughs> I want to throw it to Devontae Adams. Instead the ball comes here to the tight end and Alante Taylor is in perfect coverage. He should have intercepted it. He's mad at himself. Like <laughs> that's, that's the perfect example of like, okay, who is Alante Taylor? he has this great pass breakup and he's mad because he didn't intercept it. Like that's, that's the confidence level for a rookie in that moment where, and he's also matching up with a tight end. Like that's not easy. He's not a slot cornerback, but Hey, you might need one. So when you bring Marshawn back down the road, whether, you know, he ends up kind of working into the slot or you do what I think would make more sense. And you put Paulson Adibo in the slot and you have those guys on the outside, you know, one way or another, I think you're benefiting from that uh, for a team that is now kind of, in the limbo at slot corner, right? You think Chris Harris is fine. He's done it for a while and he's good at it, but you'd like an upgrade there. And um, I think one of those guys is going to be either Paulson, Debo or Lante Taylor.
0: There is a good chance too that. We get PJ Williams back who could also play, play in that role as well. Yeah. I, I've never been a huge fan of PJ in the slot, at least
1: not this season. I thought he he might profile there, but I just don't know if he's good enough in coverage. I, I think he's a better free safety though, than what they have on the roster. This, ex- yeah. this play is actually a good example of that. This is the first third down play. Um, I think it was third and 12 for the Raiders. And, you know, it's an interesting look because you have six defensive backs. You have three linemen. You have two linebackers. And eight of them are right here. <laughs> they are all up there. And it's just a kind of a fire zone look where you're making them have to guess who's going to come and who's going to drop out, right? You're going to send five. And, and the guy you send, I believe is... I think you send both these guys. I think you send Marcus May and Chris Harris. And their pressure is what allows you to kind of force this early throw. But it's also just another example of like the Raiders just failed to take advantage of this. Because I think this is a bust by the Saints. I think that's Elante Taylor at the top. And you can see this is probably one of the few mistakes he made in this game. He jumps this route here and he leaves Mac Collins all of this space on third and 12. Like Mac Collins it was going to settle into that space. You can see he's slowing down. And he's expecting Derek Carr to just loft it into the what it, it's called the turkey hole. So Juice McAllister told me it's the turkey hole, which is the space between the corner and the safety. And instead of that, he gets throws it all the way out to the 48. Like he's throwing the go. And Matt Collins is sitting there in space like, okay, first down, get me the ball. And Derek Carr is unable to get it to him. Part of that is because Chris Harris gets home on the rush, right? So that makes it a little more difficult because Derek Carr doesn't have the opportunity to just sit and see that Mac is settling down. So this is Chris Harris right here. He's coming in. And so he has to throw it there. And he goes too far downfield. Justin Evans is the deep safety here. And I think that's why, like, when I say I think P.J. Williams might make more sense. I don't think Justin Evans is a particularly good deep safety. I think he's better served coming downhill and making tackles. So I think that's, that's that, that would be P.J. Williams in a perfect world, uh, where you have Marcus May, Tyron Matthew, and... Chris Harris up at the line, kind of pressuring the quarterback, and you have P.J. Williams out there in space. But, you know, I think that's just a good example of, like, that was right there for the taking by the Raiders, and they just were not unable to take advantage. And that was kind of the story of this game.
0: Yeah, hopefully the Saints defense can take advantage of a Baltimore offense that has definitely not been wowing anyone this season at all either. Even in the ground game, I feel like, you know, Lamar Jackson has his moments, but the passing game from him has surely been inconsistent. Yeah, and they don't have their weapons are not necessarily
1: there, right? Like Rashad Bateman's hurt. I think we mentioned that, you know, Gus Edwards is dealing with an injury. Mark Andrews is dealing with an injury. There's a chance that none of those guys are there. So the weapons are going to have to be thrown to her are limited. Now, Saints are still going to have to contain Lamar Jackson and Devin Duvernay, who is probably the fastest guy in the NFL. Um, So that's going to be tough. You know, they've struggled with mobile quarterbacks in the past. And if they struggle again, it could be a long day. But I think this is a team that's kind of
0: figuring it out a little bit in that regard. So who knows? I've been impressed with DuVernay either. this year. I had to look it up. I've, his name, I, I thought it sounded like a guy who's from this area, but he's not. It does sound like a Louisiana name, doesn't it? Yeah.
1: One of the things that was that I thought this game made very clear was, you know, can question the decision to go with Andy Dahl, and you can say I'd rather see Jameis Winston in there, whatever, you know, Andy Dalton played really well in this game. And it was an important moment for him to play really well, because I think there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on that. And if he came out and laid a dud, that would have continued to happen. So the fact that he was able to go out there and have the performance that he did was big for him. And it was big for the Saints, who wanted to build some confidence going into this really tough stretch of games. But there was one play in this game that I thought that he made a glaring mistake in the sense that, what are you doing throwing this ball? And while I still think it was probably, you know, a throw you don't make, it wasn't as bad as it looked in real time. So we we're going to have is, you know, Trey Smith kind of coming here and working up field and he, the, the corner just does not sync with him and gets beat. And the reason you're throwing this when you do is because you see the corner is beat, so you're throwing it early, but the corner just reaches out and grabs him, grabs his arm and pulls him back. And so that's why Trey isn't where the ball is. And that's a hold, that's a penalty. Like you can see like Trey's like looking up, like, what, what do I do? And the ball comes down and Trayvon Mary gets it. And so like, this is an example of when you're watching it on the broadcast, you're not seeing everything unless they show you that hold, which I don't know if they did because I was watching it in real time. It's a play where, uh, Oh, Oh, what a bad decision by the, by the quarterback to throw that ball. But in reality, it's a bad play by the refs because he wasn't able to spot that obvious hold, you know? And so that was like the only really bad decision I thought Andy Dalton made. And it really was just a you know, give give Traquan a chance to make a play because we've seen him make that catch in that spot, in that area of the field against the Bucs in the playoffs. It was a very similar play. He caught a touchdown uh in the AFC championship there. So, you know, it's I don't think it was a as necessarily a bad decision or a bad throw.
0: It's just bad officiating. I was gonna say too, yeah, that that area seems to be a dead zone for flags in the, again for the for the Saints in the Superdome. <laughs> yeah, if you want to get a pass interference call in the Superdome throw it literally anywhere else. If you throw to that part of the field, you will not get a flag. <laughs> it's just kind of how it works. Yeah, and Andy was definitely impressive last game and he needed that obviously after that three pick performance and I think you broke that down too where you could really say that just one of those interceptions was his fault. The question is like always like
1: okay, was it a bad decision or was it a was it not? Right? Like cuz interceptions happen if you're being aggressive and you're giving your guys a chance, you're going to throw interceptions. That's why I think the, the criticism of James Winston throwing a lot of interceptions isn't necessarily fair because it's like, I don't care about the number. I care about the circumstances. And over time, the, you know, the number kind of outweighs it, right? When you throw a 30, you don't get the benefit of the doubt that maybe your receivers are tipping the ball up in the air. But like when you're looking at an individual game and individual decisions, then you have to consider the fact that like, okay, maybe you threw the ball right into your receiver's hands And he tipped it up in the air and and the ball went to the defender, right? Like that happened. But like, and that's what happened on that one interception against, against Arizona. There was another play where you got hit, right? We talked about how good the old line has been on that play. They allowed the quarterback to get hit and it was an interception. So like, it wasn't necessarily the decision was bad. And I think that's why when Dennis Allen comes back and says, well, you know, it's not really his fault, blah, blah, blah. It's more about, did he make the wrong decision in that moment? Because if you're constantly making the wrong decision, then you're, you're, you're messing up, <laughs> you know, like the decision to throw the ball to Mark Callaway when he was double covered in the end zone earlier in the game. Yeah. Bad decision. In this case, I'm not sure it's a bad decision, even if it is an interception, because if the ref makes the right call, then it doesn't matter. If Traquan doesn't get fouled, he's, he's there to at least make a play on the ball so that it's not an easy
0: interception. So I can't criticize the decision-making. Yeah, totally. I see what you're saying there. And yeah, from, from me last game, Dalton seemed pretty on point with everything. I mean the 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 offense, the defense, everything was just really working well all together. But uh Andy was your perfect game manager, I would say, last game.
1: He needs yeah. to be a game manager and make the plays when they're available. And that's what he has done. You know, and yeah, yeah I yeah, I don't know if this offense would look better with Jameis Winston in there. It'd be hard to right now with what you look at the numbers they're producing. If nothing else, you just don't know. Right. Whether it would look better. And if you don't need it to look better. Right. If if you are satisfied with the production you're getting, and I think the last four weeks you have been, then you know, maintaining what you have and making sure that the defense is, is doing its job, you know, you, you kind of live with that. And I that's why I understand, I understand where Dennis Allen is coming from in that regard. So this is an interesting one. You know, Rashid Shahid is going to break a punt return in the near future. And I think one of the things that's holding him back right now. Is he's trying not to make a mistake. Hmm. And I think that cost him possibly a return touchdown on this play. This is the first punt of the game. And you can see the gunner actually falls down. So, like, he's out of position. There is no containment on the backside if he's able to get to the edge. And you can also see, like, this is a very deep punt, but he effectively outkicks his coverage. You can see how much space Rashid has to operate. Now, being a kick returner is not that complicated. You have to know where your where your blockers are, and you have to know where the, the strength of the coverage is, and you just have to find a seam where you can kind of split that and get upfield. And I think if he had this back, he would be more aggressive with it. UDFA in his third career game probably doesn't want to spend too much time going laterally, right? Like that's what you hear. It's like get upfield, get the yards. We'll worry about the big returns when they happen, but we don't need to we don't need to make a bad play trying to make a big play. And so you can see right here, you have a blocker here. He's going to kind of swing around and pick up this defender. And if he gets there, you have no one to make a <laughs> play. Right. There's so much space. And you have, I think that's Elante Taylor making a block here. Instead, I think the instincts of, you know what, wanna, I don't want to screw this up. I don't want to make a mistake by trying to trying to make a big play. And so I'm going to work straight up field. Well, you can see like you have no blockers and you have five defenders. And so that's what happens here. Like the, the, you, you were able to get positive yardage on the punt return and that's good. That is your goal number one. But I think three, four, five games from now, if he's still in that role and he's got a little bit more confidence and he feels a little more secure, he's going to break it around the edge because you can see like Bryce Thompson does make his block like the block is made pretty well. And like the question is like, okay, he's facing the wrong direction right now. Can he swing around and make that block? But he does, he gets there. And so if you had just worked it a little bit more laterally and you trusted to make the block, you got one guy to beat. And and that guy is being accosted by Lante Taylor. So, you know, I, I, I think the ability is definitely there. He has the instincts. I think he wanted to go outside I'm interested if we're able to talk to him in the locker room this week, if if like he wants that one back, because I would bet that that he sees this on film and, and he's like, ah, man, I missed one. Um, but either way, one way or another, it's only a matter of time Rashid Heat is going to return a kick for a touchdown. And it's just going to be a question of how long it is.
0: Yeah, really nitpicking stuff with him. But yeah, last week too, he had that where he kind of fell to the turf in Arizona. And now this week, it looks like, like you pointed out here, he had a whole bunch of a green ahead of him if he could have just busted that to the outside a little more. And that'll be interesting to see, hear from him, to see uh, what he saw on that film and what he was thinking. I just got to imagine it's so hard to process as you're you're running at such a high rate, you know, going into a return like this. But obviously, if you want this job, that's something you're going to have to do.
1: Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, he had a positive return. I think it was like an eight-yard return, So it's like, you're not going to complain too much. Like you're very much nitpicking because your first priority is to make sure you receive, catch the ball, right? Secure it. Your second priority is make sure you don't give it, give it up, right? You don't want to give up negative yards. So you want to get under it and catch it. And then you want to make sure you hold on to it. So like he did all of those things, you know, and the, the frustrating part is like, you don't get that many opportunities in today's NFL to actually return a kick, right? Kickers are so good. They're, they're so good at angling kicks that it's, you know, you just kind of got to take advantage of when they're there. I think, oh, there's only been one kick return for a touchdown this year, and it was Devin Duvernay. So like, it doesn't happen that often. And so when you see an opportunity to get one, and you don't take advantage of it. It's a bummer, but I think he's going to be fine. There's one more play on the defensive side of the ball for a guy who I think hasn't been talked about enough. I think we did mention him on the post-game podcast, and that's Cantavia's street right here. This play is set up for a big gain by Josh Jacobs. The only reason it doesn't happen is because Cantavia Street wins clean right there before the ball is even handed off. And he is in the backfield, he reads the handoff, and he goes and gets Josh Jacobs. The Saints are outflanked on this play. He doesn't make the tackle. Josh Jacobs is running for a while. The only guy downfield is this guy, is Tyron Matthew, who we've already established is not the premier tackler from the safety position. And I don't think it's even a criticism If you give Josh Jacobs a head of steam and say, okay, Tyron, go try to tackle him in the open field. Tyron might not get up. Like (laughs) that is a, that is a bulldozer that you were asking your five nine safety to go, to go pick up. So like Kentavious street gold star, you know, he didn't have a huge game. He he's only in on like 25% of the snaps, but he made an impact on that
0: drive. And so, you know, that's, that's really what you're hoping for from a defensive interior that has struggled. Yeah, it was definitely yeah. nice to see the Saints run defense show up this game against one of the uh the better backs in the NFL at least of the last over the last what was it three three games i think he was averaging close to 150 yards a game and just be able to put the clamps on him obviously was was huge in and, and affecting the pass game as well for the raiders but that that kind of tackling too uh you know seeing guys putting that effort out is something that's contagious as well
1: no and and you know, Josh Jacobs, I think he was third in the NFL in rushing. I don't know what he is after week eight, but he was going into it. Um, and yeah, I mean, you gotta, you gotta be tough. You gotta stop the run. And that's what the Saints were able to do this week. This is the third downplay where Taysom Hill gets the ball. And we talked about how the Saints hadn't been throwing to Taysom Hill. And this might be the easiest third and sixth conversion in the history of the NFL. Because look at what happens. Like Taysom Hill is just sitting there in the slot, offset, just takes like four steps downfield. Oh, hey. Hey, Andy. Hey, Andy. Hey, hey, guys, I'm wide open. Throw me the ball. He does. You know, easy first pitch and catch, first-time conversion. You know, and, like, that's the – look for Taysom in the passing game. Look for Taysom on easy completions, right? If they're ignoring him, if they're, if they like, not paying him any attention and the Raiders ignored the middle of the field about as hard as you could in this game, uh, give him the ball. Get him the ball in space, right? Let him – give him a chance to make positive gains. And uh, that's what you did here. It's what they were able to do in the red zone against the Cardinals and so like that's what I like to see in this offense a little more is like don't just ignore Taysom in the passing game like at least be aware of where he is so that if he is uncovered (laughs) you throw him the ball because there have been a couple times this season where it felt like he was just de-emphasized to the point that they weren't even paying attention to him and you you missed an opportunity because of it so I'm glad they took advantage of it here because I this was not a play that was drawn up to throw to Taysom Hill this is a play that they threw to him because he was standing alone in the middle of the field and so I want to see more of that
0: was it you were giving me a stat about separation and it, was it this game that Taysom wasn't getting separation?
1: I, I think that was it. I think that's an error on the next gen stats. He had it, it seemed pretty wild, right? He had 0 yards of separation. Seems impossible. Cuz on that play alone, you think that would skew the numbers upward cuz Yeah, yeah. So I was
0: sure if it was this game or the previous game you had mentioned. No,
1: it was this game and I think that okay. was just an error cuz I don't think you can have 0 yards of separation. I don't think it's possible. <laughs> but all right, that's the end of my film grab bag. For the week um, i love it i look forward to it it was nice to be able to point out positive things for a change yes definitely. um oh you know what here's one more so that end around that failed end around now if you remember if you go back to the vikings game in week four with justin jefferson coming around and you know you have that little inside handoff and marcus davenport never even got out of his stance it was, like justin jefferson was gone and so uh he was not gonna let that happen in this on this play. And Tyron Matthew, actually mentioned the Vikings game because it was the same same scenario. And this time, Marcus Davenport was not having it. Nope. <laughs> Sit down, sir. Look at how hyped. Is that Alante Taylor coming in? Yeah, he does a little flex. Oh, is that Malcolm Roach? I think it's Malcolm Roach. Oh, that's This is Alante Taylor doing the flex. But no, it's, yeah. it's Malcolm Roach who's, who's coming through, hyped. And remember, this is a fourth down play. Or no, this is a third down play to start the second quarter. And I think right after this was the fake punt that got stopped so this was a big play in the game uh and i think the the raiders were looking at film and they were like oh this worked we can run this play and marcus said no i like angry marcus yeah i agree he still only has half a sack on the season but it's not his fault it was paul sandibo's fault for holding that is the end of the film study edition uh if you're listening to this podcast go check out the youtube version if you want to actually see the plays i try to do a good job of describing the plays but i know obviously your eyes are helpful so you know, make sure to check that out, WWL Sports. But yeah, that was a, I always have a good time doing that.
0: Yeah, and like I said, it's its always a treat for me as well. I love the breakdown just to see it. A lot of times I don't go back and, and see some of these plays that, you know, you've seen before, seen in during game time, and to see them coming back on film uh, with you really breaking it down, I think is really beneficial for me and for the fans.
1: Yeah, I mean, the All-22 is important. Like, I, I think what I try to instill in people is like, don't ever overreact to what you see on the broadcast because they're not necessarily showing you everything happening at the same time. Like there will be times where someone like they'll like the, the broadcasters aren't even sure what's coming up. And so they'll watch a play and then there get showed this replay of guys running by themselves down the field. Well, there are times where they're only open because the ball's already out. And it's like, so that's a clip of a guy being by himself and it'd be like, wow, he missed that one. I'm like, uh, David, uh. <laughs> so, you know, it's, you know, obviously not everyone has access to the all 22. It's,
0: it's kind of a pain to get to cause the NFL sucks. Uh, but <laughs> I know you've had glowing things to say about their, uh, the way it works and how you can control the, the, the video. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about before we close off? No, just getting ready for this week of practice and definitely, uh, what this Baltimore Ravens team has in store and man, Finally, not a noon game. It's been it's been a while. Actually, not really. Thursday night football. Now we're going into Monday night football. But this one is at home. At least we still haven't had a non noon Sunday game. I think there's one in San Francisco. That's a three o'clock game. Is it? Is it three twenty five? I believe so. That would I make sense because they usually don't play
1: noon starts in, in out west. But yeah, there's no Sunday night game. uh It's just a lot of noon Sundays. But yeah. So and that that is something to mention. So this week's practice is going to be a little different because they're a day behind. So I believe their full schedule is going to start on Thursday. Like the first injury report of the week will come out on Thursday. And then the final one of the week will come out on Saturday. And
0: hopefully we see names like Limited, Michael Thomas, Limited, Marshawn Lattimore. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. They've gotten like four extra
1: days of rest since week seven. I think that's helpful. I think that's part of the reason they look so good in this game is because they finally got some time to just recover and recuperate. Like, I don't think that's a
0: coincidence. And I'd mentioned previously another, there was a lot of positives and a lot of happiness on that sideline this past game. But for me, seeing Michael Thomas there Mm -hmm. and all enjoy high-fiving his teammates, really looking like a guy who wants to be there. And a lot of folks have been critical about Michael Thomas not wanting to be a part of this team. He looks like a guy that's ready to come back. And I'm hoping that's the case this week it'd be huge for a monday night football game in the superdome yeah i, I think this is the week that, that mike comes back i think it is i have a feeling i have a feeling Let's i don't know it. if he
1: comes back and plays i think this is the week that mike gets back to
0: practice but you know, if he it. doesn't i never said that right we go there thursday and it's
1: like uh not
0: practicing oh i told you guys
1: yeah i, I didn't say anything it's like, it's like those people on Twitter who are amazed at Sweezer Wiz. Anyway. All right. That's going to wrap it up for us on this episode of Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't subscribed already, why not? Go hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. If you're watching this on YouTube, head over to your podcast app. If you're listening to this on a podcast app, go over to YouTube, do that. But uh, as always, I appreciate everyone who watches. We did this in the middle of the, the middle of the day on a Tuesday and we have a hundred people in here watching. I always appreciate that. Thanks everyone. You, you're great. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back at this. We'll have – it'll be a little weird because the schedule is different, but our Friday episode will still will still be coming at you, even though it's a day, it's a day earlier than
0: you. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, too, if we fi- if we hear from Andy Dalton right in the start of the week since we know he is the dude now. Sure, we'll hear from him at least once. Yeah, I know it's typically been on a Friday. Maybe it will be again. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows?
1: All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Peace. Later, Saints fans.